Welcome to the House Top Podcast, the teaching arm of Oikos Ministries. Jesus said, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Join our host, Terrell Abair, as he teaches God's Word. Well, good evening and welcome to Facebook Live, Oikos Ministries. Uh, I'm your host, Terrell Abair, and we're going through the book of Ephesians. We've been uh, off for a week or two, uh, and so uh, we just want to get right back into where we had left off when we uh, started before. Uh, so we've been going through this, this whole book, and if you've missed any of it, you're sure welcome to go to our website at www.housechurchesusa.com, and there you could uh, peruse through and catch up on these teachings and many, many other teachings. I mean, the, the page is very user-friendly, uh, or the site is user-friendly, a lot of, uh, a lot of good information there, and I, I know you'll be blessed by it. So uh, tonight we will continue on. As we finish in Ephesians chapter 2 at the very end of it, we got an insight to the early, early New Testament church that we are build, being builded together as a habitation of God and the Spirit. And we really capitalize on the idea that Jesus is himself being the chief cornerstone or the chief building block, block the foundational building block of the New Testament pattern. I introduced the thought last time uh, about what God told Moses, uh, be careful that you build according to the pattern that I gave you on the, when I was with you in the mount. <clears throat> We're going to really get back to that in just a bit here. I, I really have that burning in my heart. Ever since I delivered that last message, I've been wanting to get back to this one. Uh, and so tonight we'll be in Ephesians 3. And for context sake, I would like to... Uh, read a little bit. As a matter of fact, I'd like to read a lot of bit, if that's okay with you. And uh, we're in chapter 3 and in verse 1. And it says, for this reason, and here I like to inject, and if you read this in the King, I use the New King James on uh, when I teach on Wednesday nights, but uh, I like the King James Version for study, study purpose. And actually for this, uh, for this teaching, I really like what King James says at this very first sentence better. It says, for this cause. Uh, Paul said for this reason, but I, I like for this cause, and we'll get back to that as I introduce the message tonight. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for your Gentiles, if indeed if you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than, all the, uh, less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ or Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, 
in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Now, I'm going to I'm going to stop. I want to read just one little bitty part. It said, and for this reason or for this cause, he starts in verse 14. And it's the same exact phrase that he uses in, in verse one. And uh, I have a reason that I wanted to mention that. So twice he he mentions the cause or the reason. And tonight, as we go through that, I'm going to just deal with these first uh, 13 verses from Ephesians three. <clears throat> and the reason we'll move so quickly tonight is due to the uh, the fact that we've covered so much of this when I dealt with chapter one. And uh, this cause, uh, it, it, let me just get put my thunder out there right off the bat. The cause was the entire huge paradigm shift of the New Testament unfolding before their eyes. This was the reason or the cause. And, and really, when you understand this in the book of Ephesians, it really makes this book, I mean, it's so revolutionary, it's so powerful, you begin to uh, really grab the meaning of the, uh, or the broader context of the book. There's so many wonderful, uh, smaller subject matters in the book of Ephesians, but when you put them all in the right context, this is just like an explosion of revelation concerning how the New Testament should be. And so when we see a paradigm shift, now that's an interesting thing. We hear this word among uh, church people all the time, but a, a real paradigm shift is a, is a, a is a framework of, of, of thought process or it's, it's kind of like the expected or the, or the assumed norm of how things go. It's orthodoxy. That kind of, it's, it's what's the standard that we know. And so when a paradigm shifts, it usually creates a huge issue. For instance, when we, we see technology paradigm shifts right now, we're in huge shifting of how we do things because of technology in our generation. And it's almost like every time you blink, a new piece of technology is introduced and boy, it just revolutionizes how we do things. It's really, I guess it's not new. It's just so convenient and speeds things up. But when we get back to the, the theological paradigm that existed at the time of, of, of really, let's start at John the Baptist or their entrance of Christ into the earth. When we get into that theological paradigm that existed, you have to understand something that is really ho-hum to us now. The, the idea back then is that God was exclusively for the Jew. And I, I, went, I dealt with the fellowship of the mystery. I dealt with all that in earlier teaching. You can go back and listen to all that. I'm not going to recap it. I'm not going back through that. But there's our whole issue, the, the fellowship of the mystery, the mystery revealed. Here it is. And it's basically that Jew and Gentile would be made partakers of the same body. And let's look at the language that that's, that's being used here. And so what, what, what happened or when John the Baptist came on the scene and said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. We have a whole new paradigm uh, uh, confronting the, the masses at that point that basically a, a shifting that the kingdom of God would be within re reach. Now, you realize that uh, Yahweh, the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, he was literally uh, the nation of Israel uh, was the one, the exclusively the only nation that enjoyed the presence of, of exclusively of God himself. And he was their God. They were his people. There was a, and it was, you could not, uh, 
Nobody else could play. That was it. It was a closed society and it had a people and a place in the, the nation of Israel. Now, the broader picture is when the kingdom of God comes in, that's what beyond any shadow of doubt of the central message of Jesus' teaching was the kingdom of God, not anything else but the kingdom come. And so the kingdom of God and understanding the kingdom is now that God would be, uh, he would, the king of the kingdom was now in, in, in the earth. The kingdom, uh, its reach of the kingdom, the dominion of the king would be sealed or, or, or really uh, noted by the fact that the Holy Spirit would be wherever the king was Lord, in particular the hearts of men. And so we'll get back to that in another sense shortly. And so when we see the idea that the paradigm shifting came, came to take place, you had not only the nation of Israel, but then you had Rome, the political uh, part. Or your, of course, Israel had its own politics there. Um, and, but then Rome ruled the world. And so the, the, the international politic was there as well. And so when we start dealing with the idea of how people thought in that generation, you were either a Jew or you were a Gentile. Simple as that. You were a, a Jew and, and you were circumcised and you entered that covenant and you kept the sacrificial system or you were a Gentile and they would go on to call really terrible names like Gentile dogs and whatever. They were thought of as subhuman. Uh, they just weren't, you know, they were sinners beyond, uh, uh, beyond reach. And so the idea of mingling with a Gentile was off the, 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 you know, it was taboo. No, no mingling. And so let's read the, the, we're going to go through it slower now. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. This is interesting. Paul's a prisoner. Why? Because of the paradigm shift. Keep that in mind. What, why did they kill Jesus? Because the paradigm was shifting. Wait a minute. Now all of a sudden he's saying, I'm the Christ, the son of the living God. He is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament covenant uh, or, or scriptures, all the prophecies and the, the Psalms that, that said that Jesus or Christ would come. A, a, a prophet like as unto you, toward, he told Moses, uh, would I raise up? And, you know, the, the, all the prophecies concerning the son of David and this type of thing. Jesus came and fulfilled all those prophecies and through the gospel fulfilled the plan of all the ages. So the apostle Paul now was the prisoner. This, this, this shifting, and this is what you have to understand. When a paradigm shift begins to happen, the old guard will kill anyone who tries to mess with it. They will not allow the paradigm to shift. They don't want to. And let, let me just say and inject right here that all throughout the history of the church, now I'm talking about for the last 2000 years, Every, listen to me carefully, every revival was that the Holy Spirit went around or blasted through existing orthodoxy and it really disrupted all the, the standard and norms that were in control. I believe we're in one of those right now. We're in a paradigm shift. Now, two things are happening simultaneously. First, the fulfillment of scripture that says there would be a great falling away is happening. I believe that is on right now. People are falling away from the truth. It's very clear what's happening in, our, in America now that, the, that people are just literally jumping ship. They don't believe in the truth. As a matter of fact, most people ha are, are so biblically illiterate. They don't, it, it's, uh, religion has become superstitious in America. It's almost laughable at what people believe nowadays. It would be laughable if it wasn't so grievous. The other side of that coin, I believe that so many True believers have become disenfranchised. And as Jesus looked with compassion and saw the people of his day, 
who were scattered like sheep having no shepherd, and he was moved with compassion for them. I believe as he sent his disciples to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, I believe it's time to look for the lost sheep of the church. I believe they've left the building and they're not going back. In our last uh, message that we taught, uh, there, uh, the reel went far and wide. Thousands and tens and thousands, 40 something thousand people watched this thing. And without any, uh, I mean, no, nothing was even close to second place. People were just absolutely angry. Now, let me say that the, the overwhelming majority of people who watched this thing were thumbs up. People shared it like crazy. It was really a successful message. But there was, you know, probably a couple of dozen who were just vehemently angry as saying that when I said there's another way, you don't have to go back to the building. You can have church in your house. Oh, you're forsaking the assembly. And it's it, to me, it's it's funny. I, I actually comment. I don't comment often on this. I said, I said, that's really funny. That I'm a say. I mean, I'm more assembled with a local body than most anybody. Even if you're a hundred percent in church in uh, traditional church, most of you're just gathered, not assembled. And, and there's a difference. Go check it out. The point being is that the, the 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 vitriol that so many come with to protect the existing paradigm. My goodness, they won't come to church. What are you doing, telling people not to come to church? I didn't tell them that. People have already fallen out of church. They're not coming back. And if we return, listen to me, Jesus Christ is coming back and I believe he's going to look for his spotless bride. And I believe his bride will be doing what he told her to do when he returns and all the rest will be left or sent to hell. They'll be judged. And so I believe we're in a clarion call right now that says, come out of her, my people. Who is her? Babylon, the mother of all harlots. Not only is Babylon a harlot, but she's the mother of harlots. She has daughters and they're harlots as well. And they teach the people worldliness. They teach the people to be unfaithful to God, but claim they're religious and claim they're right with God while they live like the world. We're literally affixed in that kind. This has permeated our, not only the American society, but the whole world. That's where most people are. You say, well, everybody can't be wrong. I say, yes, everybody can be wrong. Go check out Noah's flood. Everybody was wrong. Except one guy. Everybody was wrong. I can tell you, Jesus said, when I come back, well, there will be faith on the earth. Folks, I want to be found faithful. And I believe there's a time to return to the Lord. There's a time to return to the apostolic pattern. And I'm pushing back that, that right now. Look carefully. I, Paul, the prisoner. Let me tell you something. This comes with consequence. The, 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 the guard will fight you tooth and nail to stop this. They'll call you heretic. They'll call you cult. They'll call you weird. They'll call you, uh, I remember they would call me, you're off the deep end. You're, look, I would have literally been saying the same things back when I was in the tradition. So I don't hold that against you. Call me what you want. I don't care. Man, I, I, my, my skin's way thicker than leather. So go, go for it. But the fact is, I believe God wants people to change. I, some pastors need to listen to me and just say, look, man, you, you're, you're serving that building. Let that building go and serve some people and, and, and win some souls to Jesus. Let's stay with it. Look carefully. I, the prisoner, Paul was in prison because religious leadership and political leadership hated the very idea of this paradigm shift. Okay. Now watch care. They couldn't control it. They couldn't monetize it. They couldn't sustain a physical 
appearance of a building. Stay with it. Watch carefully. I, the prison of, of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God. Now, again, let me take exception to a translation here. Uh, dispensation. If there was a, if you go look at that word up, the word there in the Greek language is oikonomos. It's where we get the word economy from. And it's literally the administration or stewardship of a household, how you manage your household. And literally we're talking about the dispensation of the grace of God. Now, when we start looking at the dispensation or the economy or the, uh, or the management of God's house of grace, there was a shifting. This is part of that shifting is that how we would do business with God. Really, what was really at stake is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who can worship him? Now everyone could. Anyone could come to God. And where and when? Where was the place? He said in spirit and truth. And so how, who we worship, who worships him and how we worship him were all coming into play. And this was going to open everything up to the entire world to worship God. Wonderful. Now, that's some of that's old hat to us. But let me tell you something. The old demonic guard has never quit fighting to keep us in the old paradigm. That paradigm has been, I'm telling you, they've kept it and, and literally have literally mingled or co-mingled the old and the new Old Testament and New Testament where we we can't, we've muddied the waters of grace to where we can't even tell the difference now. And yet people defend this traditions as we know them like they're the gospel truth. And I defy you to find a New Testament biblical principle to do what we're doing in worship services today. You can't defend it. Stay with this. So the dispensation, I would, there's a lot of different words out of put the administration, the, the economy or the, uh, or the distribution of, of God's grace. Let me bring up a verse from the Old Testament. In the book of Habakkuk, it says, uh, in, in chapter two, verse four, he showed the vision. He said, write the vision, make it plain that he who sees, reads it may run with it. And man, preachers think, well, I got to write my vision. Well, I did it. I know exactly what you do. You go, you make up your vision and say, this is what God told us to do. So everybody look at it. There's the vision on the wall. So we run with the vision of the house. Well, the vision was for the entire New Testament and said, here's the vision. The just shall live by faith. <laughs> That's the New Testament vision. And basically take your banner down off your, if you did, if that ain't your banner, the just shall live by faith. Then you're really just uh, you prophesying what came out of your own head. Sorry. Anyway, the just shall live by faith. So salvation is by grace through faith. So the economos of God, the economos of God is that the grace of God, the dispensation of the grace of God by grace through faith, that now this would become the standard and the norm of New Testament worship practice principle this would become the paradigm and it was literally the the uh the war waged in the new testament church just just look at the battles from acts all the way through the letters of paul and they're fighting to stand their ground that salvation is by grace and you don't have to get circumcised and you do not have to keep the law you have to be uh, by grace through faith only through faith can you be saved amen that's the new testament vision all right so stay with it so 
the dispensation of the grace of God given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. So I won't go back over it. We've already discussed that. You can read it in chapter 1, you can read it in chapter 2 and chapter 3. He touches on the fellowship of the mystery. And the fellowship means that there would be a larger body and community. It would just not be the nation of Israel now. The fellowship is that the entire world who gets born again, who comes to Christ, could fellowship in one body. Hallelujah. All nations. And it would really fulfill what the original call of Abram was, which is something that always goes beyond me, is why the Jews could not or cannot to this day see that the call of Abram was to all the nations. And so why hate the other nations? It, it, it doesn't make any sense. And so, uh, or, or, or really think you're the only one, because you're not the only one. God is the only one, and he's opened his house to all people who by faith believe in him. And so we're going to speed this up a little bit to, so I can get to the, 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 to the other points I want to make. Let's turn, look at verse 5. When other ages this was not made known to the sons of men, it has been now revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Well, there it is. Uh, there's a great passage in, in, in Galatians that said that, that, that the blessing of Abraham might become on us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Ghost is literally the fulfillment of all the blessing of Abraham and us being full of the Spirit. And we can read that right here. He said, of which I became a minister. Now watch this. I became a minister according to the gift of, uh, of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Here he begins to introduce to us the New Testament minister and ministry. Now, here's something profound. After chapter 3 of Ephesians is chapter 4. And in chapter 4, we find this whole, I mean, huge uh, topic of, and he gave some apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the working of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And, and so we can see all that. We're going to get to that uh, soon. But if you try to apply that to today's traditional churches, you keep getting the same old, same old, and it never really fulfills what these ministry gifts were meant to be. And so the Apostle Paul said, I have been given this ministry this by the effective great, the power of grace that I could make men see. Look, let's move it. He said, I may preach among the Gentiles. I'm in verse eight and make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent. Now, listen to this. Here's the intention. So. The New Testament ministry has an intent that the manifold wisdom of God, which would be the fellowship of the mystery and all this unfolding, might be made known by the church, that is his called out assembly, by the church to the, here's who we would make it known to, to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Wow, what an introduction. All of a sudden now he's introducing us into the warfare that we're up against in order to bring the revelation of the fellowship of the mystery. Now I'm going to get back to this in just a little bit here, but I want to tell you something. Once you understand the real specifics of the, of the, of the New Testament pattern, I think this is going to wow you in just a minute. I'm just going through this boredom somewhat of it to, to absolutely set the stage for, I believe, what is a, a, 
a, a rattling revelation that you have to deal with. Watch carefully. Let me finish this little reading and we'll get to it. New Testament ministry is to make known to the demonic, I mean, the principalities. Let me tell you something. I don't care when I preach. It don't matter. I'm not preaching to you. I am preaching to principalities and powers. I'm so convinced of that. And I'm going to tell you another thing. Once God shows me something and I begin to speak it out there, I'm going to tell you right now, the narrative has been changed. I don't care what you do. We're going to set the narrative. I don't have to react. I don't care. It ain't by done by mega church. It's not my might or power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And when he shows that and reveals that, and we do our diligence to speak it out into the open, there ain't nothing principalities and powers could do but react to me. I love to make them react to me, not vice versa. So we are literally putting demonic forces on their heels and setting them back to defend their positions. Now, I know what they do. They lie and they just call, start name calling and, and accusing and blah, 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 blah. And you know, they, they do all that. Do what, do what they will. Come with you. But I'm telling you that God is into shifting something right now. Okay. When we first started this uh, 17 years ago, I didn't feel like something was shifted. It shifted in my thinking, but outwardly, oh no, it just, I felt like we were hitting a wall everywhere we turned. Now, oh, it's a new day. I'm telling you right now, it's a brand new day. Stay with this. And I'm going to finish this little reading. So we make it known, the church makes it known to principalities and powers in heavenly places according to the eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. And so the persecution, the tribulation, the pressures coming down on the Apostle Paul that are now coming down on New Testament leadership uh, who are trying to move with the paradigm shift that I can tell you right now, don't lose heart, man. It don't matter what they say. Come what may. Let them throw what they want at. Just don't lose heart. Now, uh, we've, we've read these passages to this point, and, and as I said, there's the next half of this chapter starts with, again, he reiterates for this cause. Now, I believe the cause that he is pushing is the New Testament paradigm. Now, let's go back and visit something that I'd said last week, and we're going to shift gears totally, and I hope you'll allow me this license. <clears throat> we're going to shift this gear to get to the paradigm shift. If you go with me to Acts chapter 7, Without a doubt, the birth of John Baptist and the birth of, of Jesus Christ began the, 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 the transition of the greatest paradigm, the greatest spiritual paradigm shift that ever took place on this planet. And it was solidified at the day of Pentecost. OK, so when that that shifting is enormous and the crucifixion of Christ, I think it's in, it's uh, it's worthy to note that at the trial of Jesus, they accused him He said, this guy said, destroy the temple and he'll rebuild it in three days. What, you remember that? I think it's so significant to point to what the leadership was protecting. 46 years in building and you can do it in three days. Oh, you know, again, demean him. Let's wipe him off the face of the earth. Let's kill him. Right. And so they did. They killed Jesus. He died, buried, resurrected. Now, his fellowship, those after the day of Pentecost who began to follow him and took up the mantle and the message in the power of the spirit and the New Testament grace was on. 
And so after the day of Pentecost, you know, 3,000 souls were added. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And uh, uh, they were daily in the temple and house to house, breaking bread and uh, uh, having fellowship with one another. So, But the four principles were apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking bread and prayers. And so they ate their bread with gladness and simplicity of heart. There was a shifting already there, which was in total keeping with how Jesus and his disciples lived for three and a half years. Okay, that was already taking shape. He taught them how to evangelize the world and they would implement this quickly into the uh, into the early church, the fledgling church. Now, one thing I want to point out. Before Jesus ascended, after his resurrection, in Acts chapter, well, actually you go to Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1. Luke wrote them both. But before he went up, he said, he said, of the times and season, you have no reason that I should write unto you. But after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall receive power and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Four places. So he... His, his intent that as the Holy Spirit came on the New Testament church, they would go out and carry the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Unthinkable, unheard of that, that the gospel would go out. Because Jesus, he literally stayed among the Jews teaching when he, but now it was going to go out everywhere. Wow. This was going to be crazy. This was going to be off the chain. And so here we are. Day of Pentecost, then the gate beautiful. Let's just round up just for, because they were adding daily to the church. 10,000 men were now believing in Jesus. All right. A huge shift of good old tithing Jews were now not tithing into the Jews anymore, but the money shift and not only tithing and all that, but they gave their finances, a full finances, everything. He sold everything they had and gave it to the apostles feet. And the gospel was moving at, at just rapidly because the finance was moving the mission and everything was in the hand of the apostles. Now, along comes Stephen. Along comes Stephen. And so when, when Stephen came, uh, he, he was met with such vehement resistance. They wanted to put him down. They wanted to stop the voice of Stephen. I want to pick up the message of Stephen at his martyrdom. Look, he started a defense for himself that began with Abraham and went through all. I mean, he went from Abraham to man to Egypt, to Moses, to King David. He went through all the whole smear and he got to verse 44 in uh, chapter seven in Acts. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it, in turn also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. So look at there, the tabernacle of Moses, and then they brought the tabernacle of Moses into the promised land, and they set the tabernacle up and worshiped before all their enemies in, in, in lands that were just totally pagan. And, and then David wanted a dwelling place for God. Okay. So the tabernacle of Moses was where God met with his people. And now David wanted a dwelling place. And, uh, until the David who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for God of Jacob, but Solomon built him a house. However, now he's talking about the temple of Solomon, the extravagant, temple of Solomon that was a replica of what God showed Moses. And listen, Exodus 25, I think verse 40 says, 
that God told Moses, be, be careful that you build the tabernacle according to the pattern that I gave you when I was with you in the mount. Very important. God demanded that a preciseness to follow the pattern would be followed. And so God, God was vehement about this instruction. Now, what I think is so terrible about New Testament patterns is that we have gone to a pragmatic principle of humanism that whatever works, do it. And it's like, well, whatever works, brother. Uh, you know, that's one way. House church is one way. You can do it that way. Look, I'm not, I think there's no magic in a house church. I don't, I don't think anything to do. What I do believe is that it gives the environment that forces people into what I believe is the apostolic paradigm of a relational life of Christianity in the kingdom come. That every person would become a king and a priest. We would all fulfill the priestly ministry, the priesthood of every believer where we all serve God as a spirit filled person. We would all have the Holy Ghost in us. The kingdom would seal in each one of us. And we would work that out relationally with one another. And by this would all men know we are, you're the disciples by the love you have for one another. That's not done in a traditional church. It is not done. Yet there might be pockets of love. There might be, there's some sincere people in the tradition. But I'm telling you, they're sincerely in a wrong structure. It's a, as a matter of fact, it's not only non-biblical, I believe it's anti-biblical. And it's because now we have Christ. We don't need types of Christ. We don't need types of tabernacles. We don't need the type. Let's serve the anti-type. We have Christ. Why would we go and try to go back? Look, look what he says. This is so telling in, in Stephen's sermon. And you just nobody wants to deal with this because everybody wants to build him a building. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet said, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? You stiff neck and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your father did. So do you. Now, I'm going to stop it right there. The resistance of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not looking to occupy a physical building. He is not looking to do that. The Holy Spirit is wanting to live in the hearts of men. Let's just mind blown right here, folks. You are the temple of God. We are the temple of God, which temple we are. Let me tell you, God wants to, re to live inside of redeemed vessels, and he literally wants to put his presence, literally Emmanuel would be in the heart of every soul. Every redeemed person would have Christ in us. That's the fullness of the gospel. Folks, we have to wrap our brain around something here that the confusion comes when we try to move everything to a fixed, rigid temple position and we blend the old way of worship uh, let, let me just get back to something here. If we advance to chapter 8 in Acts, let's, could we go there? Look at verse 1. They just killed Stephen. I mean, as soon as Stephen said, you resist the Holy Ghost, they stoned him to death. They killed him. Unbelievable. Why did they kill him? The thing they could not tolerate one more minute. Where's the house you're going to build me? Are you going to blaspheme the very temple? Let me just inject something right here. In Matthew chapter 15, the Jews are accusing Jesus of sinning against tradition. 
Why do you transgress the tradition of the elders? Let me tell you something. If I'm guilty of anything right now, my guilt is in transgressing traditions. And I'm not talking about the good traditions of, of, of the New Testament fathers. I'm talking about the evil traditions that are set up uh, that have nothing to do with New Testament pattern, mostly offshoots of Roman Catholic structures. And that would mean not only the Roman Catholicism, but evangelicals. We, I would say Protestants, they ain't no more. They're evangelicals now. And they literally all do the exact same thing. It's the exact same thing. We just created a million more popes. That's all we did. Now stay with it in Acts chapter 8. Now Saul, who would become Paul, was consenting to his death, Stephen's death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And there they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Now, let me ask a question here. They were scattered. Why? A great persecution. Well, the only reason they quit going to the temple was because of persecution. That's what everybody said. That's the, the standard answer. Let's ask, and I agree with, I'm not just, I mean, this scripture said that persecution arose and they were scattered. Where did they go? Judea and Samaria. Where did God say, after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You'll be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part. Where did they stay? In Jerusalem. Why did they stay there? That's where the temple was. Can I take you back to Matthew 24? Master, look at the beautiful stones in this temple. Look at it. He said, I'm telling you right now, there won't be one stone left upon another that won't be thrown down. What, 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 what? He said, when? What? 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. As a matter of fact, answer this. Because if you want to stay with the thought of the old covenant, there was only one temple recognized. And it wasn't your megachurch. Only one temple was recognized. Guess what? The Jews hadn't had a temple in 2,000 years, almost 2,000 years. It was destroyed in 70 AD. They can't even prescribe the sacrifice anymore. How do you even be a good Jew anymore? They ain't no blood. Think about it. Jew in name only. Because you sure ain't killing animals and you ain't got a place to do it. You could not do it according to the prescribed manner of sacrifice. I believe God purposely busted that up. And I believe it will become the abomination that makes desolate in the, in the latter times. And soon, I think it's soon coming. But stay with me on this thought. God's judgment was when the Holy Ghost comes, go to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and uttermost parts of it. Where they do? Stayed in Jerusalem. And it goes out of their way to say it. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. They still stayed in the temple. They stayed there until there wasn't no way to stay there any longer. Do you understand this? I believe God judged the fact that they wouldn't move. The paradigm, look, you have to, and I'm not, I'm not coming down hard on these guys. Listen to me. When you're that fixed and rigid in your tradition, you literally think you're right. Okay. I was there. Look, when I came to Christianity, I did not come to Christ to try to, uh, become some church member. I did not do that. Jesus found me in my sin, saved me from my sin. And literally all I knew is now what? How do I express my faith? And who was I to question anything about any church? Okay. And I felt for years like a square peg in a round hole or a round peg in a square. Something. I just, I was a misfit. 
I, I, I tried to fit. I was submissive to every church I ever attended. I'd help build whatever was required we tried to do. And then eventually I began to plant churches. And I still said, something's not right until the Lord began to show me the New Testament pattern. I, when, I, when, when, the, when the revelation came, I guess when you get seasoned enough and you're bad at long enough, the Spirit of the Lord begins to clarify it. And, and I became unafraid to question the entire structure of the entire thing. And when doing so, the New Testament became a brand new book to me. All right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts, parts of the earth. Well, I can tell you, once this temple was annihilated in 70 AD, this gospel went everywhere. And listen to me carefully. For 317 years, the norm, not the exception, the absolute norm of the New Testament, they met in homes. They met in small groups. They met they, the big, the big famous guys were famous. Yeah, they were famous. But let me tell you what, they were hiding famous. He said, well, that was just because of persecution. As soon as persecution let up, then everybody came out and we just got some buildings and it went back to the old paradigm. No, it, folks, what I happened is I think demonically what the, what what Satan did demonically in 317 A.D. with Roman Emperor Constantine was, I believe, the most demonic spiritual paradigm shift that ever took place. And it's been rough, almost unchallenged for 1700 years. The Reformation didn't. It, it had a chance to challenge the structure, but Martin Luther refused to challenge it. The Anabaptists challenged it and stayed the course. God bless them. And they gave us a history we could hold on to that kept true to the apostolic pattern. Thank God for the Anabaptists. But let me tell you something. The Reformation, I don't buy into the whole thing. They all stayed Roman Catholic. They became the children of the harlot. The step, they're literally the daughters of the harlot. The mother of all harlots has daughters. Remember that. And they kept the exact same structure. Most of them kept infant baptism. Most of them kept transubstantiation and Roman Catholic communion. So nothing really got transformed. I mean, we got, quote, Protestants all over the place right now who still do infant baptisms. It's unbelievable. And they call that salvation. You know, it's, it's almost hard to even wrap your brain around that this is supposed to be the New Testament good theology. Now, now think this through. And so here's that first part. Moses was given a pattern and God demanded him. I mean, he charged him, you be careful, build it exactly like I showed you in the mount. Kevin Connor has a great book called the tabernacle of Moses. <clears throat> and he's done the work. Excuse me. He has done this exquisite work <coughs> to show that how that thing looked and laid out. I'd love to show you some pictures of it sometime, but I was looking for my books. We just moved and apparently my books didn't move. Some they're they're somewhere. If you have them, please bring them back. Anyway, <clears throat> the point is, it's a great book that to, to understand the tabernacle of Moses. Now, I believe that a pattern was given to us in the Mount as well in the New Testament. And I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 17. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured 
before them. There's a great word right there, transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles. Uh, Three tabernacles? One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him! And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. They did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then they, un- the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. Now, in one of the other Gospels, it says that when Moses and Elijah appeared to them, they were talking, about him, talking to him about his suffering. And I think it's an important issue to inject in here. I believe this is the, the, the pattern that God is giving the New Testament to go into the mount. The place alone where you get with God. And you're changed. Let me tell you, he was transfigured. There's another word in Romans 12. We'll get to it in just a few minutes here. It's called, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Transformed, translated, or transfigured, excuse me. This transformation, this divine transformation is literally what I believe is the beginning of the pattern of the mount. Now, if you look at the pattern of the mount in Moses' tabernacle, there were all kind of specifics involved in that. Okay? <clears throat> and if you were to go, if you topped a hill and, and looked down and saw the, the whole pattern set up, it would be a white fence all the way around that tabernacle. And the tabernacle, the little rectangular building, the, the holy place and the, the holy of all were there. And you would see a a, an, 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 a baptismal pool for washing, an altar for sacrifice. And you had to go through this process before you went into the holy place. There was a washing, there was a, a, the blood, and then you went into the holy place. And there, there would be the, 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 the candle, uh, the, the seven lamps of God, uh, which would be the, the, the Holy Ghost, uh, the, the, the oil that burned the lamps and illuminated revelation in the holy place. There would be the, the bread, the showbread, the 12 loaves of showbread, one for each tribe, and the daily bread, which was the Word of God. And there at the altar, incense was prayer and the veil behind it. And so you could see the soul of man there depicted that the illumination of the Spirit of God on the Word of God, the daily bread, the provision of God, if you would, and uh, all that God had for man's soul, and the relationship with God to pray to God concerning 
all that he shows us. Okay. Now in Christ, as soon as Jesus died, he said, it's finished. He gave up the ghost and the veil was torn. And now you could see into the back part, the holiest of all, which I believe moves us into the very heart of man. The very thing that was been hidden for the ages. You, there was the Ark of the Covenant, the, the mercy seat, the literally the lid, the mercy seat, the propitiation, the blood covering where literally the mercy of God, the presence of God would come down on that ark and inside of the ark was Aaron's rod, the authority of God and there was the Ten Commandments, the the law of God and there was the pot of, of manna the provision of God there in the very heart. And God wanted this, his presence in the very heart of man. And he wanted the veil taken away. It wasn't about a building. Listen to me. The ark of, of the tabernacle of Moses, the ark of the, these were types and shadows. We don't need them. Let me tell you, you are the tabernacle of God. You're that tabernacle. And what God wants to do with you, you don't start that way. You right now are not the presence of God. You don't have the presence of God because we're in sin. Only when we go through and come into that place alone with God and He transfigures us in a divine encounter with Him where we're transformed, where we're changed, where the presence of God says, hear him and the word of God and faith comes alive and word begins to change you. God's word transforms you. Be not transformed, conformed to this world. Be ye transformed by the renewing of the mind and the word of God begins to literally re rewire your brain. It's called repentance. But the well-meaning friends of Jesus, and there are many, I believe there's so many well-meaning, let's make three tabernacles. We like to talk about Moses. We like to talk about Elijah. Let's make some tabernacles. Oh, we like to talk about you too, Jesus. We'll make you one too. We can have the three tabernacle church. Let me tell you something. When Jesus' ministry began, He wades into the waters. John the Baptist says, what are you coming to me for? I have need to be baptized of you. Jesus said, no, 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 John. Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. I scratched my head for a long time. What does that even mean? Let me see if I can help you. The only two rightful qualifying people on the planet to be the only, let, let's put it, let me break that to one. The only rightful qualifying man on the planet to become high priest at the time when John the Baptist was born was a man called Zechariah, John's daddy. Nobody else was even qualified. They were all political appointees. This was all political positioning and religious positioning. This is title and the, the, the stench we all, you know, when Dr. Smell Fungus shows up and, you know, they just want to work their title. I'm a doctor, a doctor of divinity. And what? But so what? Who blah? So terrible. Anyway, look, when John the Baptist showed up, Jesus acknowledged that John should bend the high priest. 
and suffer it to be so now, John, for thus it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus submitted to him the only qualified man on the planet to be high priest in that hour. And Jesus submitted to the revival that God had started through the uh, prophet John. Jesus himself succumbed, surrendered and submitted his life. He had no sin. He wasn't washing his sin away. He submitted to the revival of John. Repent. Change your think. Transfiguration of the mind. Transform your head. Think revolution. The paradigm shift must begin. God's kingdom is within reach of you. Jesus Christ is coming. The Christ of God is on the scene. And it was the catalyst for all men to come and wash their sin, confess their sin. But Christ wasn't confessing sin. He came to submit to. As a matter of fact, he began to carry the revival himself. He preached, repent, for the kingdom of God's at hand. But when Jesus came up out of that water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And the voice of God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And so Christ is baptized and confirmed by divine Voice, divine experience. Here, this second divine experience and the transformation on the figure on, on, on the on the on the mount, the transfiguration, divine encounter with God. He gets with God and he's changed. His countenance doesn't even look the same. He's shining. He's glowing with God. Remember Moses in the mount? He radiated with the glory of God, and the people were scared to look at. Jesus was radiating. The glory, I mean, have you ever seen a person get born again and all of a sudden they became radiant with the beauty of the presence of God? Come on, man. Oh, you want to see a pattern? This is the pattern of the New Testament mount that he begins to get his temple prepared. Let me tell you something, folks, as living stones in the New Testament temple, he prepares us and puts a song in the spirit. He puts a song in our heart. You know, right before Jesus went to the cross, he had another confirmation, a divine confirmation. And he said, uh, uh, it, uh, he said, Father, what should I do? Say, save me from this hour. But for this cause, I came to this hour. He said, Father, glorify your name. Let me let me be, bring you glory in my death. And God said, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. And everybody heard it. Let me tell you something. If Jesus Christ himself received divine confirmation and encounter and acclamation from God, affirmation, basically God endorsing him, what do you think we need? And it's this lack of experiential Christianity that we, we're, we're either baptized as, as infants or we're, or we're, uh, uh, parroting a sinner's pr prayer and that's it. No encounter with God, nothing. This, this pseudo mental ascent, and it's very sleazy mental ascent at that. It's very, very shallow based. Folks, we need to encounter the presence of God in such a powerful way that we don't come back to say, man, when you meet the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when you meet the power of God and the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you cannot be the same. You cannot remain a drug addict. You cannot be, remain a fornicator. You cannot remain a drunkard. You cannot remain a, a Mardi Gras reveler. You cannot remain in your sin. I hope somebody's hearing me. I wish we'd take care to build according to the New Testament pattern. You see, the building blocks of the New Testament 
are ransomed vessels who have received Christ in such a divine encounter they've transformed. And the word of God is continuing to transfigure them throughout their life. That they are conformed to the image of Christ and all of his fullness come on. And then we're joined together relationally one to another. And we build community of faith and friendship and exquisite, extraordinary friendship that the world looks at and says, these folks really like each other more than most. They'll all know we're his disciples by the love we have for one another. I hope somebody is starting to catch this New Testament paradigm. Be not conformed to this world. One of the grievous places in my heart right now in this hour is that the entire world, uh, church is, is conformed to the world. Uh, I'm seeing some celebrities uh, that are just, you know, they, they die. and they, I mean, they, 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 they literally, they, they glorify drunkenness all their careers and they glorify adulteries and divorces and blah, blah. They're singing in their song. Uh, and then they're saying, yeah, but I'm saved. And the whole world, oh, they were Christian. Look, they are Christian. Or we get an athlete or, or, or the next pop star. And they, and they just mention, I, I like God. <laughs> and, and, oh, they're saved. They're Christians. Dear God, which God are they even talking about? There's lots of them. With little G's. Folks. Please. Don't be duped by this foolishness and mockery. Be not conformed to this world. The whole world is trying to be conformed to the world to win the world. Man, the world ain't looking. Look, the world is not impressed with you dimming your lights and you're putting on your $20 smoke machine and, and a little light show. Come on, man. Your disco ball gleaming through. Come on, man. The world ain't impressed with that. Just church folks trying to get their entertainment on. It's time to shift. Let me tell you something. If you have fallen out of church and you said, I, I love Jesus, but I'm not going back. I'm not. And I don't blame you. Not one bit. Listen, look, don't go back. I wouldn't go back either. I, I look, I shut down all three of the churches we started, shut them down, sold the buildings, cashed out what we could. And now we live in a relational communities with people, right? Call house churches. We can worship Jesus according to the New Testament pattern. We don't need professionals. We've done it for 17 years. It can be done. Okay. And we're building more little house churches all the time. It can be done. You can do it. You hear me carefully. You can get your friends and families together. And say, look, y'all, I'm cooking supper or lunch Sunday. Y'all, won't y'all come on over? I want to talk to y'all. And you share your faith with your family. For weed, I want to say something. Or while you're eating, just say, uh, let, let, let's eat, let's break bread together. Let me just pray. Uh, Lord, I want to thank you for this broken bread and shed blood. Well, I want to thank you for the broken body of my Lord. I want to thank you for the blood that he shed. I want to thank you that this has transformed my life. Father, I pray for my family. It would transform and transfigure them as well. This is how church starts, folks. That's more church than, you know, an hour and a half song service and then a, a psychobabble sermon. Man, have church at your house.
In the next few weeks, I'm going to be laying out this New Testament pattern because to me, the book of Ephesians just literally clearly lays out the fellowship of the mystery, the communion, the koinonia of the mystery. That literally those who have been transfigured in the divine encounter have fellowship with one another. Hallelujah. We're going to stop it right there tonight. Chew on that. Have some Selah moments. Go back and listen to this thing. I've said a mouthful tonight and I pray that you get what we're talking about. Hope you're picking up what we're putting down. God bless you. Have a great week. We are so thankful that you joined us for this teaching today. It's our sincere prayer that many of you would be born again through hearing God's Word. If you were blessed by this podcast, we would love to hear from you. For more information on Oikos Ministries, visit us on our website, www.housechurchesusa.com.